So <laughs> no talk about the Switch. No, I removed that. The only thing that I'm looking forward to with the new Switch is hoping that they actually have a 1080p screen instead of a 720p screen. I That would be one of the things that I would like. It would be nice if it were a little bit more powerful and could just like, even just like having the same games output at 4K would be nice for the TV. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I just don't see it happening with the Switch's form factor. Probably not. I mean, it, it's been a couple of years, so the technology's improved. I mean, unless they change it where uh, more of the CPU and GPU and all that is within the stand itself. Yeah. So that I don't think that's yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't see that happening either. Okay. Well, I guess we were able to cover the switch after all. All right. Welcome to Aliens Land. Here today, we are going to talk about uh, a little bit of update on the Tesla, and then also a little bit about Audio Hijack and a new toy called uh, the Anki Vector, which would kick off a segment that I want to do about like how much a device is used over time. Let's start with follow-up. It turns out when we're, we're trying to figure out if uh, the quest worked outdoors and it looks like it's just indoors only, which, oh well, but at least we have big spaces. Uh, what's the limit on the indoor size? Well, I think it can be pretty big. I suspect the indoor, it, it, basically it needs to have edges that it can correlate things with. And the so if you just went out in a big field, it wouldn't work because there are no edges. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking if it was big enough, it'd be really cool to have in a school gymnasium or something like that. Yeah, I think as long as you can have edges that it sees in view at all times that it can use to have its little point tracking, it's fine. A gymnasium that's set up to be like an arena with like objects strewn about and whatnot would be fine, but a completely empty gymnasium I don't think would work. Hmm, interesting. Though they did have the demo with the tennis stuff, and one of the sides was a tennis court that was supposedly regulation size, and the other one was uh, the other side was like living room side sized. But I think that was it. they were able to do that because of like all the lines on the floor and stuff. So imagine you have something that's, say, the size of a school gymnasium where you have um, a series of, uh, I guess, cones or something to pretty much delineate where the play area is. Does it matter if the space is particularly tall in that case? That's a good question. I don't think it does matter. I think as long as it I, I think that the major thing is as long as it has enough stuff to look at and to, to find its reference points. I think the other problem with outside is that it's often so bright that things would get washed out and then you couldn't find the the pieces then. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that's pretty much, I think, our only update for that. Then the other, the next follow-up is uh, with the new Tesla version 9 software. I did end up installing it on the Model 3, and unlike the Model S, it is actually an upgrade for the Model 3. Uh <laughs> It now has apps for the web and energy, which I don't really care about that much. But also, you can definitely tell that they enabled all of the other cameras because the the sort of situational awareness image that they have <clears throat> is much more in-depth and sort of useful. So before, they would show some of the cars that were in front and to the sides of you, but now they 
show more of them and they also show cars that are sort of behind you uh and they differentiate what they look like more like so they have lots of different uh things that can show up depending on how the car is shaped um so it can more easily determine like what type of vehicle it is or, or if it's a bicycle or if it's a person walking in front of you it all it has little icons for each of these now now i figured i'd ask you um the same question that i did last time is uh, do you notice any specific difference on uh, how the car stays between lines or how the car detects objects or braking or whatnot? It seems to do a little bit better job of staying within lines. The weird thing that I noticed is previously when you were driving the Model 3, the the lane gate that it gave you was not was a little bit wider, I think, than reality. And... And now I think it, the lane that it sh- draws on there is a little bit smaller than reality. So that was interesting change. Part of it, I don't think our system is like fully calibrated yet. And I think it needs to do a recalibration for its training uh, before it'll be uh, completely better. Now, uh, do you know what version of autopilot you're on? You mean the hardware? The hardware, yeah. Pretty sure it's 2.5. Um, Are you sure? Because I mean, your car... Uh... Your car was one of the first cars in Washington. I think all of the Model 3s that were done after the new year were 2.5. So um, I was reading on Twitter that um, Elon Musk was saying that uh, ideally he would like Autopilot 3 hardware to be available within the next six months. Yeah, and he also, well, I don't know if he said it or if it was implied somewhere else that basically everyone who already paid for the full self-driving would just get the the autopilot 3 hardware i mean i could see why i don't see full level 5 autonomy being possible within the current hardware yeah and this one is supposed to be like a much more powerful custom designed uh chip that tesla is making specifically for this purpose yeah, he was saying anywhere between 500% to 2,000% increase in performance. Uh, people that were investigating mentioned that the size of the neural net is considerably larger now. The amount of processing that's being done in version 9 is around 10,000 times more than what's being done in version 8. That's what I had read, but I think that that's an extrapolation that removes some of the efficiencies that I'm sure that they're... So, some of the optimizations that I'm sure that they're doing. I don't think that it's a pure scaling of what they did there. Uh, if anyone, if anybody's listening who's in the know, please contact us. Yes. Let us know. Tell us that we're wrong. And then they also, I also plugged in a USB stick for doing the recording. Um, when you plug it in and it has the folder that's uh, named for doing the dash cam, in, you get a little icon that's up on the top of the display on the Model 3. And it has a little camera and it has a little red dot indicating that it's recording. And then I guess you can specifically save a file by clicking on it and going save. And then it'll, I I don't know what exactly portion it writes to it. I haven't looked at it yet, but it does that. And then it has like a hour long or so continuously looping file. Now that's regardless of how big of a USB stick you have. I think so. I know that they're they have like a default hour loop, and that takes a couple of gigs, and so you have to have a USB stick that's at least a couple of gigs. But other than that, I think the individually saved videos 
It's just however many times will fit. See, what I would like is if you got a really big USB stick, you'd be able to have, say, 24 hours of footage or 48 hours of footage. Yeah, I didn't see any way to adjust the loop size, mm-hmm. which would have been now, nice. Now, uh, have you used any dash cams before besides uh, what you have in the Tesla? Yeah, I've used one dash cam before, and it was one that was activated whenever you turn the car on or whenever it felt uh, acceleration. And I'm hoping that the Tesla one also is whenever it feels acceleration, um, just so it can keep like if attempted uh, entries into the vehicle can be recorded. But I don't know for sure. Uh, does the Tesla dash cam record when you have your car parked? Yeah, that's the part I don't know. Um, I think as long as the car is on, it's recording. Um, I don't know about like if you're just sitting in there and it's in park. I can't remember. I think if the display's on, it's recording if the USB stick is in there. But if you're mm-hmm. out of the car, I'm pretty sure it turns it off. I don't know if it turns it back on though. If you if it get, if the car gets bumped, yeah. I mean, uh, it would be really useful if somebody hits your car while it's parked. Right. It'd be nice to know. Right. And I wish I, I believe that it only lets you record the main camera, like the front camera. It would be nice if it, I could get information information from all of its cameras but there doesn't seem to be a way to do that what would also be nice is if it had any kind of uh proximity detection as well oh you mean like with this ultrasonic sensors like to triggering the camera or yeah well i guess uh i guess if there's the car sees any sort of sign that uh, someone or something is approaching it that uh you'll either get at minimum a log entry and at maximum actual video footage Right, but I don't think the cameras are even on when the car is off, though. How much power? I don't know how much power they draw, but I'm guessing that it's probably shut off to save power. I mean, one more benefit of a bigger battery, right? Yeah, definitely. So let's go and move on to uh, some inside baseball stuff. Uh, Mark and I both now use a program called uh, Audio Hijack in our audio streams for recording the podcast. This lets you set up a, uh, a a little audio graph and between each of these little connections, you can have a number of things such as adjusting the volume, reducing noise, uh, sending the audio to another application uh, and other, other things like that. Uh, overall, it's pretty nice. Uh, prior to this, what I was doing is I was going into audacity and basically just recording my output for the whole time and then after i was done going ahead and sending it over to richard for him to do processing yeah this is a lot nicer in that uh, right now i'm recording three mp3s at once one for just richard's voice one for my voice and then one that is pretty much a combined version so it's uh it's a lot more redundant than uh, what we had before yeah and i have a similar setup where i'm recording marks and mine and then combine all into separate files i also have a another input from uh, another app uh, that i can insert stuff for example if i want to scream (coughs) or or break some glass so it's basically a little soundboard input thing that i have as uh one of the inputs to the graph that audio hijack has so i have an input from my Blue Snowball, an input from uh, Google Hangouts, and an input from Farago. And then that gets mixed into the audio for my voice, his voice, and combined. And then I have an, 
a little in, uh, outputs or a little input switch where I can turn on and off to determine whether or not I can hear myself, which is useful if I'm not quite sure if I'm being heard. So in Farago, you have it running from Farago to directly into the combined um, MP3. I have it actually going into my my stream. So I've I combined the Blue Snowball and Farago uh, into the to, together before I get to the recorder for my side. So actually, all of the Farago stuff is part of my audio. Uh, what I like about Audio Hijack as well is uh, it has a whole bunch of filters. So in my case right now, I'm just using denoise, but there's a whole bunch of other possibilities. Like for instance, there's one for dehum for removing hum and declick for removing clicks from the audio. Yeah, we might which might which might be good for mice. Maybe we should try that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean it's just there's a whole lot of possibilities with it, which I feel like. Uh, I feel like it's unexplored, and I'm hoping that someday, if we're doing our podcast a year or two years from now, that uh, we'll uh, have a lot more complicated setup for this. Yeah, and hopefully we won't sound like Satan. (laughs) Oh, so yeah, we should talk about that. Um, So right now, we are using Google Hangouts in order to uh, talk to each other and record our call. Uh, Previously, we were using FaceTime, but uh, in FaceTime... When one person would call the other, we would sound like Satan to the other person for absolutely no reason at all, it seems. Right. And we spent a long time trying to figure out why, if it was part of our audio hijack setup or if our part of our graph made it do that. And eventually we just gave up and tried Hangouts again and like, hey, it works. It feels, uh, this feels a lot like uh, programming in general. Yeah. <laughs> Voodoo code. Or you have something where sometimes something works and you have no idea why. So you just go ahead and stick with it and move on right. until uh, the point that it breaks sometime in the future. Right. Which generally happens eventually. But hopefully we, this hopefully the setup will remain robust, even with modified <laughs> graphs. Oh, we, maybe we should talk a little bit about how the UI looks. Uh, yeah. It's it's interesting because there's basically a whole series of boxes and uh, there's lines that you're trying to establish between the boxes to determine the workflow of where the audio is going. Yeah. So yeah, there's a connection. Usually, usually it's like a, a straight line going across where, how the audio is flowing. Sometimes you have another inlet to the audio stream, and sometimes you split off the audio. And when you're talking or when an application is playing audio, you see a little orange line light up to indicate how the audio is flowing between the places. Uh, You know what we should do is uh, we should take screen caps of each of our setups. Yeah. And uh, uh, put it along with the show notes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have some screen captures that can indicate what we're what we're talking about here. In fact, I will make one right now so people can see the orange lines as I am talking. I did notice that it is sometimes a little bit finicky about how the boxes are connected. So mm-hmm. there is the way that it's set up is you drag little boxes on and it will automatically try and figure out based off of where you're dragging the box, what things to connect it to. And so if you want to split out 
the audio, you have to position the box such just such that it thinks that there should be a connection or not be a connection between two things. And this can actually be, get pretty frustrating uh, when you want to like say split off something and then it ends up just doing a straight line and you try and shift it up and then it connects to two things instead of one thing or if it connects to the wrong things and it can be a little bit frustrating. Yeah, I had the exact same problem. I mean, I spent 15 minutes or so trying to get two recorders to uh, hook up, you know, a single recorder that records both sources. Yeah. And I spent a whole bunch of time trying to properly stick in where Farago is and it, it can be a little bit frustrating. And I, I don't know if this is because we're just not using it the way they expect us to use it or what. I really wish that I could manually specify what connections that I want. Yeah, same here. Just having something where you can just draw a line between the two boxes yeah. and have it be an actual explicit connection rather than an implicit connection. It seems like they wanted to try and simplify the user interface and in doing so just made it much more complicated for the end user on accident. Well, I'm hoping that an update in the future will make things a lot better. Or if we figure out that there's some kind of mode, which we have no idea about that makes things a lot easier... I mean, right. I am hoping we'll discover that. Yeah, that that would be yeah, it would be something that I'm hoping to discover. It's also possible that we're not thinking about things the way that they're thinking about things. Like, for example, I know that you can you can have the applications be inserted multiple times, so you can have the same source in, uh, come in from different places, and so you can just have like multiple parallel lines where it's actually doing the sort of the same thing, um, like. That might have been easier for Farago. I could have um, had uh, Farago as this completely separate line going to a loopback. And since the loopback was exactly the same, it could have been there. Oh, anyway. So let's talk about how you're using loopback. Rogue Amoeba has another application called loopback. Basically acts as a conduit for audio. And I have my snowball going into the loopback and the loopback uh, provides a little conduit over to uh, basically provides an audio input source for Hangouts. And I just select uh, that in Hangouts for that, that audio source in Hangouts. So what are you trying to do with it specifically that uh, I'm not doing on mine? Yeah. So on, on my end, I, into my stream, I combine both the, Blue Snowball and the Farago audio, and then send it over to Loopback, uh, which the uh, which Hangouts then uses as its input source. If I didn't have Loopback, then and I was just relying on Google Hangouts using my Snowball, Mark would be hearing my the audio from my microphone, but it wouldn't be hearing the audio that I'm looping in from Farago. Now, here's an interesting thought. Um, can you actually direct um, an app to an input device? So say, for instance, if you were to chain uh, Farago behind your microphone app, would that mean that uh, whatever audio comes from Farago would end up uh, registering as coming from that input? I don't know if you can even do that. I haven't tried it. Mm. Um, I, I was sort of paranoid and just stuck it to output to the <laughs> loopback audio. Right. Like that whole programming thing where since it's working and you don't exactly know how it works, you don't want to change it. Yeah. But in this case, I was worried that it wouldn't work 
because it seems like it shouldn't work, so I didn't try it. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I don't necessarily need to hear the uh, stuff from Farago. Oh, I was I, well. Originally, I wanted to also have me hear it, um, which I guess I could do by inserting another headphones uh, on the other side of Farago. But I was thinking that it would be possible that I would use something from the soundboard possibly more often than just the podcast begin and podcast end, uh, even though I haven't ended up actually doing that. But where it would also be useful, I imagine, is um, if we ever end up having a live show. Right. Then again, um, I think there is an output for broadcast where all you would realistically need to do is chain the uh, recorder to the broadcast and just have it uh, broadcast the combined recording. Yeah, if, if we didn't want to use a loopback over to a specific broadcasting app and we wanted to use the internal audio hijack broadcaster, then we could do that. But other, otherwise, we could just send the loopback audio over to uh, another broadcast application if we didn't want to do that. But then uh, one unfortunate part of that is I imagine if you turn off the recording, then the broadcast isn't going to hear anything. That's probably true. Mm-hmm. Though right now, if I turn off my recording, you don't hear anything. Uh, something else of note is that I see there's a source for system audio in addition to uh, an input device. So you could potentially use that to capture everything. Since it says under system audio, capture all audio played on the system. Yeah, that one gets everything instead of just mm-hmm. specific applications. Right. I don't have sounds for the messages app. Uh, turned on, but if I did, I would not them want them going into the podcast. Or if someone <laughs> tried to do a FaceTime call with me, I would not want the ringing going into the podcast. Um, or a Zoom call from my coworkers or whatever. And one more thing to edit out. <laughs> yeah. I, I have enough things to edit out. So um, do you want to talk about uh, subtitles and uh, what you've been doing on that front? So I do the editing work for this podcast, and since it is often a couple hours of audio that we record uh, via using a couple of audio files, the process that I used to have would be I stick them both into Audacity and try and normalize the audio, audio a little bit. And then after doing that, I would listen to... Well, first I have to go and align the tracks so to make sure that the audio for Mark and myself has this sa- essentially the same time beginning, uh, which we use a thing that's very primitive by yelling into the microphone and clapping. But it gives a nice easy waveform to align. I'm sure there's some sort of tool somewhere that I can get these aligned automatically, but this is what I've been doing. After I do that, uh, I create a label track in Audacity and I go and I I would go and listen to us talk and put things on the label track that I thought were relevant for editing. Uh, And so this already eats up two hours just by going through and putting labels in. I do the big edits from using these labels to start and end points to get rid of large chunks of audio that I'm interested in. And I do, uh, then I go through the whole thing again and I do smaller edits, uh, getting rid of abnormally long pauses or when we repeat ourselves or, things like that. 
this whole process takes an inordinate amount of time that I'm trying to cut down. So I was thinking I would try and figure out a good way to a good way that I would get speech to text. So I that way I would have all the labels for me. And this turned out to also be kind of annoying. Uh, at first, I looked through and I found, hey, there's uh, Watson uh, text uh, speech to text, and there's Google speech to text, and they both allow uploading of a sample. But like when I tried the Google one, it was it only allowed me to do the first minute of audio, which was annoying. And then I tried to use the Google Cloud Compute API, and I wasn't getting anywhere like there I tried to just go and use their sample code so I could use their API because I didn't have like a complete application for doing the transcription even if I want to even if I want to pay for their resources using my Google Cloud credits I still couldn't do it at least I didn't see a way to do it uh, with a complete application already existing so I tried to build their sample code um, in the in the Google Cloud console uh, but even their sample code wouldn't build due to or the speech to text API not being like in their standard API or something. Anyway, things were not building. And so I gave up on it for a little while until I saw the wire cutter's recommendation for transcription for the automated one. There was a thing called Temi that was their automated transcription recommendation. Uh, I, I can do a sample audio for free. So I stuck in our entire last podcast and it did a transcription that was not really great if I want to like publish it as a transcription, but good enough for me. But I still didn't have a good way to actually use this because I needed something that was correlated with our audio in Audacity so I could edit. And so I did notice that Temi has an export to like movie subtitles, like that standard SRT format. And so I did that, and then I found a Python script that would convert the SRT to the Audacity's little labeling format. And from there, I finally had an automated automated label thing. Ah, what a mess. So what I find kind of amazing about all this is that it seems like all of these transcription services involve being paid per audio file. Like, I would have thought that you would have been able to download something or buy something like, say, Dragon Dictate and have it put in an MP3 file and output text or output subtitles or some kind of format that would actually be conducive for this. It is possible that Dragon Dictate can do this, but Dragon Dictate itself is a pretty expensive piece of software. And I don't know if they have a demo for it, um, but if they don't then i wasn't willing to take the risk so i wanted something i could try without having to pay for anything just in case it didn't work i still get the feeling that podcasting software is still nascent and that uh whatever we'll be using two or three years from now is going to be infinitely better than what we're using now i'm not entirely sure about that i i think that it's sort of a really niche thing for having these tools and they're mostly covered by existing tools um and i mean there's there's editors in existence that are focused on podcasting and everything and like marco arment wrote the audio sync an audio sync tool for his podcasts and that tool i don't think has been released i think is like chapter editing tool has been released but we don't have chapters in our podcast anyway so 
at least not yet. <laughs> yeah. But I guess what it comes to is uh, where podcasting itself is going. Now, uh, as we've joked about that uh, every guy over the age of 35 is eventually going to end up having a podcast of his own. Well, in that case, the market for podcasting is going to explode, and therefore the tools for podcasting are going to be in more demand, and You'd think. et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> eh. You really think there's going to be a million mil- millions of people that want a podcast editing software? Well, maybe half a million people. Yeah, going through this entire process, it, you, you, I get the sort of engineer's problem of, I could do this better. I want to write better software than this. But uh, it's, I know that it's a really bad idea because it would be a huge time sink. And then other engineers that are also doing this would see my software and want to do it their way and not buy the software. <sighs> I see a giant open source project brewing. Isn't that what Audacity already is? But then Audacity isn't specifically tailored to podcasting. That's true. And I have a lot of problems with Audacity. I mean, it's it's useful for what I'm doing, but... It is incredibly slow, especially like scrolling. It, you're not able to do things that I really want to be able to do. Like I want to be able to play the audio and edit the audio at the same time. So I go through and I'm playing the audio and I see something that just got played that I want to remove. I want to be able to select that audio and remove it from the podcast, but I don't want to have to like stop, play, and then re- resume. I just wanted to, to keep playing so I know the next thing that I want to take out and I can do it all more easily in a single pass. And then I wish there was a hot key for adding silence. Uh, when we're talking over each other, a lot of times I'll add silence for one of the people. That's another thing I want to be able to do basically while it's playing. There's there's lots of UI things that could be much better with Audacity. So something like that, you run into a problem, you have to pause it and then make your change and then go back and try and listen to it again. Basically, yeah. Mm. It's kind of annoying. I maybe maybe logic is better in this regard, but I have not tried it. I just okay. I feel like I'm at the very beginning of using these kind of tools. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I wanted to do with Aliens Land here is have at least some sort of recurring segment, and I think that I'm going to introduce a segment called uh, Product Over Time, and basically one of us will acquire some sort of geeky gadget or other such thing that seems cool at the time when we get it, but may or may not be fun and interesting or useful a lot, uh, further down the line and have various updates later about, did we keep using it? Uh, is it still interesting? Is it getting updates? And basically a, a sort of review of things uh, over longer periods of time than normal reviews actually have like normally when a product comes out you get a nice in-depth review right then and then you never hear about it again the only exception is generally like cars or consumer reports reliability ratings but that doesn't tell you anything about like if you still like it if you still use it and whatnot i mean sometimes i see reviews on uh how is my apple watch over six weeks am i still using it that sort of thing but not really long term yeah so the first little toy that we're going to do for this is the Anki Vector. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Anki is the company that they were in the Apple uh, keynote a while back with their little uh, toy cars or the slot car kind of 
little car robot cars that go around the track uh, controlled by the phone. And then later they made a little robot called uh, Cosmo. And Cosmo was a is a is a robot that can has a little camera can ro- roam around and see you. But it was its brains were uh, your cell phone, and so it was completely s- controlled by the cell phone. And Vector is a lot like Cosmo was in that it looks pretty much identical except it's black. And it also has its own camera and can roam around. But in this one, it's basically it has its own onboard processing and so when it's on it's it's basically a little autonomous robot and it will look at you and it can remember like who 20 people are so it'll look at you and it'll say your name and in addition to that you can ask it questions and it's sort of like a one of the cylinders the echo or homepod or google home in that it will answer questions and I've been playing with it for a couple of days, and it is pretty cool. But uh, like such things, it is it is not the end all be all. Now, did you have a Cosmo at any point? No, I didn't have a Cosmo, so I can't really do a good comparison. So when I first hooked it up and I had it um, go and look at me. And it has its its little eyes are very expressive. It has a uh, a screen on it that basically mostly has its eyes most of the time uh, that are very expressive about what it's sort of thinking and doing. And when you tell it, uh, "Hey, Vector, my name is," and then you say your name, it'll look at you for a while, and then after it's fig- after it's effectively trained itself, it will say uh, your name, like Richard. So I had it train me and my son and then my daughter it trained the wrong name for because she didn't speak clearly enough (laughs) i think i can use the app to delete that profile so i'll go in there and i'll delete the one for my daughter yeah my my daughter she was sort of shy talking to it and was not very clear about what saying what her name is and so it got the wrong name for her so i'll have to go in and edit the, or delete her from the thing. I, you can still do a number of things from your phone, but it doesn't directly control the robot. It just sort of interacts a little bit with it. it, it the phone app can tell you what it's doing and basically provide instructions on how to communicate with it, which is pretty much all done via voice. So um, it seems like it requires an internet connection. So what happens if you don't have an internet connection? I think if you don't have an internet connection, it will just wander around like it normally does, and, re- and it, it won't respond to like internet-related questions. So one of the things that you can do is go like, so it 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 has like a sort of virtual assistant kind of property to it for asking questions, but it's not nearly as nice as like a echo or any, anything in that. If you want to ask it a question, you have to go, "Hey vector, I have a question," and you have to have a pause between you say, "Hey vector." And then you have to wait for it to figure out that you said, hey, Vector. Then you have to say, I have a question. Then you have to, say, then you have to wait for it to say, ready. And then you can ask it a question. Mm-hmm. And so you can ask it the normal stuff like, what's the capital of whatever? Or who played in such and such a baseball game or whatever? 
So it sounds like what it's doing here is that when you say, hey, Vector, and then uh, that's pretty much the alert queue. And mm-hmm. when you say, I have a question, it's able to interpret I have a question, and it means that you have to search the internet for it. Yeah, and I think the I think the reason they're doing that specifically is so that you can have commands that will work without there being an internet. Yeah, you putting it into I have a question mode is I understand why they did it, but it would be nice if they could have a little bit better context uh, such that you didn't need to go and wait forever before you could actually ask your question. Um, in fact, even if it just if I could just go, hey, Vector, I have a question and then immediately go to my question, that'd be fine. But no, I have to say, hey, Vector, then wait for it to beep or not beep. I, wait for this little blue light to turn on. Uh, then I say, I have a question and I have to wait for it to say ready. I want to be able to say it all in one thing and maybe in future updates I'll be able to. But So for Internet, is it using Wi-Fi or is it linking to your phone and using your phone's Internet? It that. uses Wi-Fi, so it's it's completely self-sufficient. It doesn't need your phone. It only needs mm-hmm. your phone to set it up. Yeah. Now, the reason I'm even asking that is, say, if you wanted to go out in a field somewhere and uh, put, you know, put vector on the floor and have yeah. it roll around there, if you would be able to do anything with it effectively, since there wouldn't be any sort of Wi-Fi around. I think, but I'm not 100% sure that a number of the features would still be available. Like, I'm pretty sure you could still have it go like, hey, Vector, take a picture. When you do that, it tries to take a picture of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has positional audio. So if you say, if you go across the room and you say, hey, Vector, come to me, it will try and get over to where you are, view stuff of where it heard the audio. And then I think it, after sometimes after that, it will look at you and then it'll say your name, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I saw that the photos are completely terrible. <laughs> yeah, they're not great. Yeah. But, but um, it's, it's it's something amusing. Yeah, true. Then I was thinking, like, I could put this guy in a room that doesn't currently have one of my cylinders and sort of use it for a similar thing. Because another thing you can do is you can have it set a timer. You can go, hey, Vector, set a timer for X number of minutes. Uh, so the kitchen timer thing it does. And it's kind of cute because its eyes become the numbers for a little while. You can go, hey, Vector, how's the weather? And it will uh, show you the its eyes become the de- number of degrees it is. And then it will do a little picture with the conditions. Like it'll show a little picture of the sun in place of its eyes. Uh, if it's sunny or rain, if it's uh, rainy, stuff like that, which is cute. So I was thinking maybe I would just set it somewhere where I don't currently have one of these devices. But it turns out if it's on it all then even if it's sleeping occasionally it will go and like make um, some sort of noise sort of maybe it's like a snoring noise but it'll do that like once an hour or maybe if just if it hears like a loud sound or something it will Mm. get startled or something and make a little bit of noise which if i'm sleeping if it happens to be in the room if it happens to be room where i'm sleeping i don't i don't want that so i have to turn it all the way off if i turn it all the way off then i can't just use like Hey vector for the other sort of actual utility things it becomes just a toy. Uh now one thing of note I was reading is that they're going to be having the support. Yeah. And it'll be interesting if that just goes and feeds into the I have a question or if it will be completely seamless like the Echo is. I mean, I would love to see it being able to control other devices like say lights and then of course music players and whatnot. Right. Yeah. Having all that sort of functionality would be nice. Like once again, it would be nice to put in a room that I don't already have an echo, 
But the fact that it decides to go and wake up when it hears a loud sound and make noise makes that currently not really tenable. Mm-hmm. Other cute things about it, like um, you can play games with it. It comes with this little cube. You can tell it like, hey, Vector, go rotate your cube and it will find its cube and it will go and knock it, to- knock it over, like rotating it. Um, you can tell it to go and do other things with its cube. Sometimes when it's just roaming around by itself, it will see its cube and like charge its cube. It'll go boom and run into it, just like playing with it. It has these edge detectors. So if it, when it's wandering around and it gets to the, so you can set it on a table and it won't fall off. It'll get to the edge and it'll go and it'll stop uh, when it notices it. And then it will like quickly back up and it'll go, yeah, like it's got <laughs> scared about the edge. What I really want is for it to be a companion cube. <laughs> I would like for you to have a companion cube and then just be able to tell it to lift it up and put it in the disposal. <laughs> you disposed of your companion cube in record time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You had a friend once, but you burned it in a fire. <laughs> I, I I don't know if that's what the intent was of it having its own little cube. Like, is it that's basically its companion cube or... Looking at it, it felt kind of almost like an intro to robotics. That's part of the reason that I was interested in it is it's going to have its own uh, SDK. And I think that some of the cool vision processing stuff that it can do might be uh, fun to play with from a programming sense. And getting my son to do some programming with it would also be kind of cool. I would love to be able to see it answer more questions. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious how that would work API-wise. Like, so for instance, right now, how you say, hey, Vector, I have a question. Would the hook to your API be, say, something like, hey, Vector, initialize Richard API or whatever kind of registration you have to it? Yeah, I don't know. I suspect it would probably be sort of similar to the Cosmo API, but I don't know exactly how the Cosmo API works either. So another thing I'd like is to be able to customize the facial animations. (laughs) Sort of like the Apple Watch faces. Did you see the? Did you see all the stuff about the Apple Watch faces recently? Yeah, I, I did. That looks kind of neat. I hope it actually. Uh, I hope there's something like that within the next watchOS. Yeah, I really hope that Apple finally breaks down and lets you have custom watch faces because a lot of those watch faces that were put up are way nicer <laughs> than what Apple actually offers. With the vector, I would like to be able to have specific facial animations so I could make an evil version. <laughs> there we go evil vector oh yeah. the, speaking of which that's it's commercial is pretty funny um like uh, vector does not want to take over the world uh they have a little commercial have you seen that yes i have okay it's cute we'll put that in the show notes our show notes once again are uh, alh.fm that would be good if you go and check that out say hi to us yeah and that's that's pretty much what i have for that initial segment of product over time uh maybe Probably a month from now, I'll give another report on if I still use it at all and how frequently and what I think about it then. All right. Thank you for listening to Aliens Land here. Especially thank you to our, I don't know how many we even have. We, we still haven't put it in the show notes how many we have for their out-of-galaxy Patreon subscribers. I can't well, keep track anymore. Let's just say 95 quadrillion Patreon 95 subscribers. Quadrillion, quadrillion. Okay, let's go with that. Yep. Yep. That, that seems like a good number. See, and in 200,000 years, we'll end up having enough quatloos to sustain us. Yeah, at least by better pop filters. See you next week. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw the uh, Apple 
keynote date was announced. So oh, I didn't October, see that, no. Yeah, October 30th is when there's going to be the announcement of, I guess, new iPads and hopefully a new um, Mac Mini. Hopefully. Yeah, I really want the new Mac Mini. Yeah. I mean, what I've been really wanting to do is just have one to hook up to my TV and get some really nice Bluetooth controllers and just play emulators, play emulators through it. <laughs> that's what you want to do? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's primarily what I want to do. I'm yeah. sure I could use it for other sort of test cases, but uh, that's really what I want to do with it. I want to replace my Synology with one. Fair enough. I mean, my buddy John, uh, I gave him my old Raspberry Pi 3, and mm-hmm. he does, uh, he pretty much has his hooked up to the TV. He got one of those old, uh, one of those uh, miniature NES looking cases. Yeah, I, I had um, a Raspberry Pi hooked up to my TV for a while. Now that I have it on like the stand that rotates and turns into a bed and whatnot, uh, I selected only the inputs that fit into my HDMI switch because I only wanted to run one HDMI cable up to the TV. So I'm, I'm limited to basically four and it didn't get priority. Right now, uh, my friend with his Raspberry Pi, he's able to play up to, I say want to say N64 games, mm-hmm. which some of the N64 games run pretty smoothly, but then some others like GoldenEye just don't. Uh, I was just thinking maybe what I should do is I should just mount the Raspberry Pi to the TV. Then I don't have to run the cable up and I could just use a secondary TV input. What I'm waiting to see is what Raspberry Pi 4 will be like, which that is actually scheduled for next year. Oh. They haven't announced anything yet, but they were saying timeline-wise that it would line mm. up with next year. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting little microcontroller boards, actually. There's, like, Make Magazine did a whole issue on, like, these, like, 50 different boards that you can get mm-hmm. that are very similar to the Raspberry Pi. See, now, what I'd like is uh, if they make it decently fast, then I can start looking at PlayStation 1 emulation or Saturn emulation or even GameCube emulation. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, I think a sure bet is a Mac Mini for that sort of stuff. What I Definitely. really want is I really wish Nintendo would get their act together and start doing GameCube games on the Switch. Because then <laughs> at least, you know, then at least one, they're getting money. Mm-hmm. You know, they're getting money for actual IP rather than me having to try and track down some old console and playing it there. Mm-hmm. And two, there's all the other benefits like being able to work on actual modern TVs, HDMI connection, etc. Yeah. But no, Nintendo, I do not know what Nintendo is doing with their time and resources right now. <laughs> and the, 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 the piles of money that they're making in the Switch now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm imagining some, you know, some Japanese guy at Nintendo swimming through cash like Scrooge McDuck yeah, right now, yeah. rather yeah. than actually doing a virtual console. Well, I mean, they have the virtual console, but they only have NES games on it. <sighs> I played. I finally. I finally played it. I played um, Balloon Fight and Super Dodgeball last night. Yeah, and I mean, it's neat, but <sighs> Balloon Fight, really? <laughs> out of all the ga- out of all the games out there, out of old Nintendo games, Super Nintendo I, games, I wanted to pick ones that are multiplayer because I was playing a Seth. Okay, fair enough. But it's like who. Who realistically is getting that nostalgic for Balloon Fight out of all the old Nintendo games? True. It seems like one of the worst IPs to have ever for a launch. But (laughs) (laughs) maybe they're just, maybe in some ways they're trying to mirror the actual Nintendo's release. 
Maybe. Where I mean, if you remember, I don't think Super Mario Brothers was until a year or two after the Nintendo even first came out. That's true, though they do have Super Mario Three already there. So that that's true. I mean, I think there would be riot in, riots in the streets if they didn't have that as a starting game. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, they have all of these old 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 games: Balloon Fight, Ice Climbers, etc. Oh yeah, and Ice not- Climbers. We played Ice Climbers too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but not, uh, you know, but not, it doesn't seem like the later ones. Like, I would love Battletoads. Yeah. You I, know, Battletoads, Mega Man, Castlevania, any of the stuff that you really, really remember as maybe, part of, you know, your Nintendo maybe experience. Capcom and Konami didn't want to. Yeah, I could see that. I don't know what Konami's doing. At least Capcom. At least Capcom is doing something new with some of their old IP. You know, like Mega Man yeah. 11 came out and it actually looks pretty good. Oh, God, I'm so alone. <laughs>